This is Ryan Bonfilio, Pilgrimage Formation Curator at the Ministry Collaborative. In this episode, we are celebrating the first anniversary of our podcast by sharing some highlights from conversations over the past year. You will hear from Todd Bolsinger, Lakeisha Womack, Sarah Hayden, Erica St. Bernard, and Jay Cameron Carter. You can find out more about each of them in the program notes for this episode. As we often say about our work, we see these as candid discussions with inspiring leaders that can generate disruptive creativity. We trust that you will find this to be true. This is Mark Ramsey, and I'm so grateful today to be talking to Todd Bolsinger at Fuller Seminary. Hey, Todd. Hey, Mark. Nice to be with you this morning. You used, I think, the term a minute ago, acceleration. What are you seeing most right now? with the pandemic and its impact on ministry. You know, one of my mentors taught me a phrase that I've used a lot, which is at the moment of crisis, you do not rise to the occasion. You default to your training. Being at a seminary, I said, every single person who shows up at a seminary, somebody said to them, you're the best Christian I know. You should go pro. And so, (laughs) you know, they show up at professional Christian school. And what they're thinking is, I'm going to go out and now I'm going to get to basically tell these things I did better. What imagine if you said, well, you know, you're actually called to lead the people of God into the witness of God and you can't use any of the tools you were trained with. Okay, now go. Yeah. yeah, I had a client who was a pastor who said to me, you know, Todd, I've read your book and I've been working with you and I realized that I can learn how to lead adaptive change. I don't know if I can survive it. Mm. It's really hard. I don't know if I can survive it. And I started realizing that what we needed to do is talk about the formation of resilience for leaders facing resistance. Unpack resilience for us a little bit more as you've Mm -hmm. studied it. You know, a lot of different definitions of resilience are out there, but the one that I liked the most was by this guy named Andrew Zolli. He said, it is to maintain your core purpose and integrity, maintain your core purpose and integrity in the face of dramatically changed circumstances. And for those who know me, the word maintain is not a verb that I often use, right? But I like the notion that resilience is about holding on to what's so important and your core purpose and integrity is what gets you up in the morning. It's what makes you feel like you are uh, have honor to yourself and to the people that you love. And that resilience is about how to hold on to the most important things when it feels like everything else is being stripped away. And being able to do so, we realize, is a formation process. You can't just will it to happen. Mm-hmm. There is a need for grit, but grit is learned. And grit is also much more developed in relationships and in experiments than we expect. Yeah. What would your counsel be to not just pastors, but church board members right now? How do you plan in the middle of a pandemic? It's going to be almost impossible to plan anything. And think about that when your expertise as a leader is that you get really good at planning, thinking strategically, thinking long-term. You think of long-term thinking and long-term planning as being synonymous. And they're actually two different things today. I was thinking about this where one organization back in the 90s, when they were saying how the world was changing so dramatically in the 90s, one person said, you know, we don't have a strategic plan because three to five-year plans get obsolete in no time. What we do is we practice strategic thinking about every one of our plans. And so that move from a plan to a process of thinking is going to be really important. And it's disrupting everything, including me. I mean, I'm having to rethink everything, even my calendar. Right. Hey, everybody. This is Adam Mixon, the content curator for the Ministry Collaborative. I'm here with my colleagues, Adam Borneman, and our guest today is Reverend Lakeisha Womack. So 
Lakeisha, tell us your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> My first session on digital discipleship was in 2016 and had the revelation that this is the first time in the history of our civilization that we can actually fulfill the Great Commission. So in all other points of civilization, it's been go out and spread the gospel to all nations, but you literally had to go out. However, with technology, now we can share the gospel, we can share our ministry and share our messages with just a few strokes of a keyboard. Unfortunately, at that time, a lot of churches were still very resistant to using technology. And so they're just like, why do we need a Facebook? We don't need to be on Facebook. Facebook is the devil. We don't need a website. You know, people need to come to our church. And then I would say within the past two years, I had the revelation that it wasn't just the people who did not want to come to church that could be reached, but it was also people who are not able to come to church. So a lot of times we think that people don't come to church or get involved in ministry because they don't want to. But then there are people who are homebound. There are people who are taking care of elderly parents or spouses that cannot come, people who are working on Sundays. So technology allows us to connect with people who might not ordinarily be able to participate in our ministries. I was in Tennessee doing a presentation on digital discipleship, and one of the pastors kind of gave me some pushback, and he was like, well, you know, I'm touchy-feely, like I need to touch my people. And I was like, well, the reality is most people don't want you to touch them. Like, we live in a society where... Yeah, clergy touching people, you don't want that. Start over. Right, but I think that part of the ministerial model that we've embraced has been very ego-driven. Like, I I need people to be in my presence so that I can see them, so that I can touch them, so that I can see the impact that I'm having. What would you say to a congregation that's just beginning to embrace the fact that they got to make this turn? Well, I think the first thing that they have to do is understand who is in their congregation because the temptation, especially at the beginning of this pandemic, was that we have to broadcast live on Facebook and we have to put our content out for everyone. And I tell churches, like, some of you are not ready for everyone to see what you're doing. (laughs) And that was even before the pandemic because I'm like, you know, if you're broadcasting to Facebook and then you, like, pan the congregation and there are only two people in your congregation, you're not ready to be online because you need to do more cultivation of your actual congregation. So if you know that you have an older congregation that's not going to be on Zoom or using video technology, the conference call might be the best thing for you. If you do have people who are ready for video, but you know that like your music isn't great, you know that your preaching isn't great, then you probably don't need to be. (laughs) But I do because it's the truth. And I think like that's the problem because we try to like placate people and make them feel good about the bad work that they're doing. So my thing is like, get better and then you can broadcast, but don't go straight to broadcasting just because you can. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. But too often, I feel like we do more damage to our ministries by putting out bad content and you don't get a second chance because once I see how horrible you are, once I see that like your background is glitching and I can only see like half of your face, I'm not coming back. Like I don't want that experience again. So once you you figure it out like in a private setting then you can start broadcasting and sharing to the world but like everybody's just not ready for that so start small start you know where you are wow that's some true telling in love Lakeisha, <laughs> <laughs> what are most congregations spending too much time on right now i think they're giving too much time and energy to 
trying to stage a production. So they put so much energy into this production that they're not putting as much energy into actual ministry because people will forgive you having a mediocre production if you have a stellar ministry. So if you can show me where you're giving back to the community, where you're giving food, you're making sure that your members are taken care of, that you're going to the nursing home. Like one church that I work with, they actually bought tablets for their members who are in nursing homes and they went and showed them how to use the tablet to connect with the churches. So when people hear those types of stories, you don't need as much production because people have like these fancy backgrounds and they're doing the intro commercials and all this, but then (laughs) there's no- But no one's following Jesus. Exactly, like no one's following (laughs) Jesus. Like you got this whole production, but then it's like, all right, so where's your fruit? Like out of all of this that you're producing, where's the fruit that you're producing? So I see a lot of, you know, the glitz and glamour, but then it's like, okay, but where's the work? Like how are you actually using um, your platform to get your congregation to give back, to get your congregation to engage. When I started doing this work, like I thought helping to grow churches was about marketing and branding and getting out and telling our story. And what I recognized the more congregations that I went into is that most people in church are not disciples. We Ooh. have a lot of volunteers and nonprofits <laughs> doing fundraising. And Say so that again. When- <laughs> Just one more again. Not, not disciples, but you have what? <laughs> you have volunteers and nonprofits doing fundraising. And so when you are in that mindset, then you do what you want to do when you want to do it. But when you have been discipled and you truly have Christ in your heart, then you cannot separate justice from the works and the teachings of Christ. And so when I find churches that are struggling and wrestling with that issue, then my question is, your struggle is more with your discipleship than with the actual work of justice. Because when you truly have Jesus in your heart, you cannot see people hungry, beaten, broken, and lost and not feel compelled to help them find the resources that they need. I don't think that the struggle is around justice, it's around truly becoming disciples. Wow. Hi, I'm Mark Ramsey with the Ministry Collaborative, and it is terrific today to be talking to Sarah Hayden. Hey, Sarah. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. I would just like you to talk a little bit about your work and what you are seeing and learning. To me, what's been revealed in 2020 is how much beforehand we were on the move in really, for some of us, quite frantic and meaningless ways, including in ministry. I mean, I'm not including myself in this, of course, just other people. <laughs> it would be actually, to me, an interesting exercise. Like, Let's just stop and make a list of all the things we did last year that we realize are now fruitless. Personally, um, I realized in my life that I had very, very little space for silence. We have two young children. There's very little space for silence in our home, but just the silence of sitting and listening for God, that my life was busy and filled with church-related things, Mm -hmm. but almost no time to prioritize um, what felt essential about the Christian experience in community. I would like to see us be more honest about the discomfort and unsettling nature of our story as Christians. You know, it would be interesting if we are reading scripture as a community to say, like, we are about to read the gospel and this may unsettle you, right? right? (laughs) Just name it. I think part of it is saying, like, we're not going to promise that church is this settling place. (laughs) We're going to enter into... uh, the realities of our lives, including the anxiety and frenzy, and try to carve out an enough of a settledness Mm -hmm. to act. What theologically is at stake right now? I think that theology has to be vernacular. 
that we've hung out a long time in the ivory tower and I pastors, we love talking theology. We love reading theology stirs our souls. But if it doesn't resonate with people, can it be faithful? Good news. Jesus's methods were decidedly not ivory tower. This is Jennifer Watley Maxell, and I am so excited to be here today with my good girlfriend, uh, Reverend Erica St. Bernard. Super excited to be having this um, conversation with you today as we have talked about this idea of breathing room. Sure. I love the imagery of God hearing me, me crying out to him and him hearing me. I think about like the listening space that that presents, but then also always giving me breathing room, Mm -hmm. kind of the reflection that no matter what life has been like, God has always, if we reflect on it, always given us breathing room. What now are the new things that God is creating, the new things and places that God is taking us? Sure. I'm talking to my therapist about the importance of play, mm-hmm. even as an adult. Yes. Right. And so I don't play in the same ways I did as a kid, mm-hmm. but there are still opportunities for us to seek out the joyfulness of play. And I think this is so aligned with the curiosity, the fun, the levity. I think 2020 for a lot of us was heavy yes. in a way that heavy has never been heavy before. We've all lifted heavy loads, but not like 2020. Mm-hmm. And so looking forward and thinking about what have I learned about myself? What ways did I shift? What ways did I pivot? What ways did God show up for me that I could not have imagined? And even given the circumstances that he could wow me again. Mm-hmm. And so really just being open to the possibilities, open to what can be, open to dreaming, as you mentioned, like not limiting ourselves, not thinking that it has to look the way it's always looked, acknowledging that it can be totally different and be even more amazing than the initial idea we had or the initial way that we plan to do it. I think one of the things that we're all asking as ministry leaders is how is the church relevant now? In addition to preaching the life transforming message Mm -hmm. of the gospel and Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. All the great works that Jesus did, or let's say the majority of them, were done in community. And I think as much as we can think about the individual effects of trauma, certainly as we talk about the pandemic, there are communal effects of trauma. And so what better way to heal the trauma that happened in community within community, right? So as the community heals, individuals heal. And as individuals heal, community heals. And so this opportunity for us to be a part of the change we want to see by creating this space, creating opportunities for conversation, inviting the professionals in who have the insight, who can help us, you know, with small group formation, maybe that Mm -hmm. would be aligned with a certain tracker theme, not just cathartic, but really powerful in terms of healing, because there's definitely a difference between coping and healing. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate that you use the word healing, like we get to the space where we are recovered, where we are restored, where we are back to a space of health Mm -hmm. and wellness, and that that would continue to be a gauge that we are honoring all the time, because I think we get through things and then we're over it and we're done. Right. But this opportunity to have the conversation allows us to discuss what was helpful to discuss how we made it over, right? So we sing songs of, you know, the church, um, how I got over. And it's like, but tell me how, like, what were the strategies? So when I'm working with clients, I ask them, so what is different? Mm -hmm. What are you doing differently? How are you showing up for yourself in a way that you were not prior to this? So that we can keep this running tab of all the things I'm doing that are working and that I'm seeing positive effect from. So that if we fall back, because that happens, Mm -hmm. we can remember like, oh, where are my cliff notes? I need to read up on where I was and what I was doing. And so that can be a great way of honoring but also preparing for the future in a way that's going to be really rooted in wellness. This is Mark Ramsey, Executive Director of the Ministry Collaborative, and it is my uh, distinct honor to be with my dear friend, Jay Cameron Carter. What are you focusing on theologically right now? 
I'm truly trying to understand and to sort of give some sort of meaning and make some sort of sense theologically out of what's happening in our world. But more importantly, to try and think about, okay, what do we do now? Mm -hmm. how, How do we make sense of what's happening with a view to trying to imagine alternative ways of being with each other, alternative ways of being in the world. I've really appreciated your work on fugitivity. Can Mm -hmm. you just say a word about that? Yeah, that word, fugitivity, if there is a word that might be able to sort of contain so much of what I'm thinking about, it is that word. Historically, it's a word that comes out of and has been mobilized in relationship to slaves in the history of American slavery who ran away. And at the core of it is they ran away because they believed that the world that was didn't have to be the world that was. The world that is is not the world that has to be. And they moved. They entered into a kind of social movement, literally running away, following the North Star under the hope of realizing another way of being in the world. That's fugitivity. I don't want to interpret that simply as a thing of the past, Mm -hmm. but rather there was a form of life and a form of thought in that runaway practice. So the fugitives acted out of an orientation of the world that I call fugitivity. We need a fugitive theology that takes its inspiration from the fugitive tradition. I'm hoping that we can begin to think in that direction as we move forward into the future. Uh, Talk about Jesus for 90 seconds. (laughs) Talk about Jesus for 90 seconds. (laughs) I like Jesus, but he's also a dangerous person. It's been many dangerous things done in the name of Jesus, right? And yet, if we're Christian, we claim to have some sort of relationship to Jesus. I think that the greatest challenge that Jesus poses to us is to stop seeing Jesus as just one of us. Mm. Jesus has to be other than us. In order for us to be other to ourselves... We have to see that Jesus is not simply, in the form of divinity, a better version of us, but rather that Jesus is taking us to another place, something other than ourselves. And when that message is lost, the Christian game is over. And in many respects, to the extent that the Christian game has been played that way, the game was over before it started. This, in fact, Mark, as I see it, may be a moment in which Christians might be able to discover what it might mean to even be Christian. Yeah, yeah. it'd be nice if Jesus and the church met each other at some point. It, it I think would, that would be a good thing. It, it would be a wonderful thing. But here's, again, the other challenge, the ways in which the church has been so constituted, yeah. in which we think we know what the Christian message is. We know where the reign of God is going to show up. We know what this whole game is all about. If Jesus truly showed up in the church, that's the Jesus we want to kick out of the church. And when we think about, you know, the Jesus that is presented in so much of the Gospels, it's a radically beautiful, I would also say, however, disorienting Jesus. Yeah, right. he, he comes along and he spits on the ground as a gesture of a total health care policy. <laughs> he comes along and he does such radical, strange things as to overthrow the money changing capitalist system that set itself up in the religious institution. Mm-hmm. He is so disruptive that at the end of his life, they decide they're going to kill this dude. Mm -hmm. Because if his vision of the world truly comes to pass, the political orders as we know it are over. This is a radically, to use your language, disruptive Jesus. The question that we've got to deal with is what feats of gymnastics have we gone through to domesticate that Jesus? 
That's what I'm trying to understand because this is a quite radical Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.